Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees for a performance by an actress in a leading role are Jane Fonda in The Morning After, Sissy Spacek in Crimes of the Heart, Kathleen Turner in Peggy Sue Got Married, Marley Matlin in Children of a Lesser God, Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. And the winner is Marley Matlin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today I am joined by Oliver George. He has a podcast called Just Chill uh, with Oliver George. He's had guests on his show such as George Strombolopoulos, uh, John Doerr. He is in a uh, very uh, compelling documentary uh, based out of Ottawa comedy called Comedy 19, The Last Laugh, which is available online. Um, and I'm also in it as well. Um, <laughs> and Oliver George, welcome. Hey man, how's it going? I am fine. That is how I'm going to put it cuz I I'm still in Toronto. We're we're still in we're still in lockdown. I am fine. How are you? Ah, uh, can't complain. We are no longer in lockdown, so it's definitely a, a nice change of pace from the last couple months. <laughs> so what do you, like do you have like bars open now or gyms? Uh, I don't know about gyms. I would assume yeah, I think we're kind of back to the the previous zone or color or whatever it is um that we were in before the lockdown, which is just a little bit more lenient on all that kind of stuff. I believe they're all open, but uh, only till 10 p.m. or something like that. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I, yeah, I, I know Yucks is doing <laughs> Yuck Yucks is doing shows, but they have to stop serving alcohol by nine and close down by 10, I think. Oh, yeah. You heard that Yuck Yucks got locked out. Yeah, that's yeah. a total bummer, too. But the, the temporary location looks pretty sweet. Lagos Bar and Grill. Well, if anybody is in Ottawa, I will be headlining my birthday weekend, April 24th. That's next month. Uh, so if you're in Ottawa, come check me out. Fuck yeah. Uh, I am also doing Blues Fest. So if you're into Blues Fest, check that out too. Um, so today we are going to be talking about the 1987 win for Marley Matlin. But before we get into that, um, before we were doing a little little pre-interview here, and I found out, uh, I, I can't believe that I forgot about this, because I knew that you worked for a hospital. You're actually a frontline worker. You work in a hospital. Yeah, I mean, we work in the basement, my department. So I, I feel like it's not frontline. I don't have a lot of direct patient contact, but you're still going into work at the hospital, which is, you know, a little freaky during a pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's some parts of my job are pretty gross. There's a the one half, which is decontamination, where they're getting stuff straight from surgical rooms. So, you know, you've got your Dexter gear on and it can be a little gnarly in there. So, uh, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, like, what is like the grossest thing that you've had to clean up in this pandemic? I'm curious. Um, if I would have been in there, the grossest stuff you usually get is just like pans that are like kind of full of blood. I, but honestly, I would take blood over shit, which you get once in a while, which is just because of the smell factor. It's, you know, not preferable <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, well, we applaud you for your service. That's <laughs> yeah. Luckily, you don't get that too often. That's usually someone not doing their job because they're not really supposed to send down a turdy, uh, turdy filled <laughs> bedpan to us, but it happens once in a while. Wow. And Okay, and you you've gotten a vaccination, I'm assuming. 
I got the first shot uh, last Monday, I think it was. Do you know which yeah. one you got? Uh, it's the Pfizer one, uh, which I think was the first one that they brought over here. And uh, how how do you feel any different or just the same? Uh, yeah, as far as side effects, I got nothing other than like my arm being a tiny bit sore like you would get from any kind of shot. Um, but I didn't really experience anything. I was maybe a little tired the next day, but no like flu-like chills or any of that stuff. Okay, well, um, we thank you for your service. I could talk your face off. We could do a whole podcast just talking about your job, but uh, we're not here for that today. Um, today, we're here for Marley Matlin. Um, so, okay, so 1987 is the ceremony year. So Best Supporting Actress went to Diane Weist for Hannah and Her Sisters. Michael Caine won his first Oscar for Supporting Actor for Hannah and her sisters but he couldn't be there because he was filming jaws for the revenge which he won a <laughs> razzie for for worst supporting actor um best actor went to paul newman which is crazy because i think at that point he'd been nominated for like eight or nine times and he never won and this was kind of his year to win and i have a feeling they're going to be doing that this year with glenn close for um hillbilly elegy uh, for supporting actress best director went to Oliver Stone for platoon and best picture was platoon okay so um this was a very very interesting year the reason why um I was so excited to do this year is because of the movie aliens now I know that you wanted to do this year and I'm curious why why did you select this year uh, I mean, I looked through a bunch and there was definitely a lot of great choices. But yeah, Aliens was a big pull mainly because I didn't even realize that Sigourney Weaver had been nominated. And it was a movie I really enjoyed as a child. I'm a big nerd as far as superhero movies and sci-fi and stuff. So mm -hmm. um, I just thought it was an interesting sort of not your typical Oscar, you know, material. So uh, that drew me in. And then the fact that I hadn't seen any of the other films made me even more convinced that it would be a good year because I wanted to, you know, embrace some different styles as well. Well, see, it's interesting about the movie Aliens. Now, I don't even know if this is true, but like apparently the way that James Cameron pitched the movie is he wrote alien on a chalkboard and then he put an S with a dollar sign. And that was <laughs> that's hilarious. I did not know that. Allegedly. I don't know if that it's one of those like Hollywood rumors. I don't know if that's true. But, um, you know, I was because I know that a lot of people say that Sigourney should have won for this year, but I find that that generally, like when you read those articles and those opinions, they generally are coming from like middle-aged white straight dudes. And you're kind of like, okay, like you're a little bit biased. I don't know about that. But the thing is, is uh, <laughs> I, I, I find that interesting. And I, and I, I always want to see like who won and why and stuff like that. And we'll definitely like, obviously get into all of that. But before we do, though, I have to say that Aliens in that franchise is definitely, in my opinion, the best one. And God, they ruined it with the third and the fourth. <laughs> yeah, they went a very different way with it. I was going to say Alien in itself, the original, is comparable as being a great film, but they're so different thematically. The Alien yeah. was so much of like a horror movie and Aliens, they really just kicked it up into like an 80s action film, but did it so well. Yeah. No, for sure. Some of these movies, um, I gotta say, were pretty painful. Some of them, uh, oh my god, <laughs> were, some of them, yeah, were 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 tricky to watch. Let's um, let's start with Kathleen Turner in Peggy Sue Got Married. Okay, so many things to cover here. So this is one of those movies where every actor before they were famous was in it. Sort of like Dazed and Confused. You know, you have. 
Helen Hunt. Yes. You like really surprised me, which a by glorified the way, glorified cameo really. Oh yeah. But Helen Hunt always kind of looked the same age for like 25 years and just like didn't age. And then I don't even know where the heck she is. I think the last time I heard about her was in the movie, the sessions, but she and then was there's, kind of, uh, what's her, sorry to cut you off. Um, yeah. uh, Lily Sobeski is like her doppelganger. I've always found. Was she in one of these movies? Was she in I children of, Oh, which movie? I thought I I honestly kind of thought that Marley Matlin kind of had some like Helen Hunt vibes going on. Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah, a little bit. Oh yeah, Jim Carrey was like the obnoxious friend of he was Nicolas great. Cage, and um, oh my god, oh my god, Nick. Okay, so first of all, if you've never seen Peggy Sue Got Married, it is sort of like a Back to the Future fantasy movie where Kathleen Turner passes out at her high school reunion. Um, which what the fuck was the budget on that party? And <laughs> she wakes up in her high school past in the 1950s. And, you know, at this point in the future, she's like getting divorced from Nicolas Cage and life didn't turn out the way that she wanted it to. And then she's going back and it's kind of like a, what if you could go back and change things storyline? And then it turns out to be a dream all along. And that is the kind of ending that just fucking pisses me off. Right but, or was it though? Because they had uh, the poetry book by, uh, what was his name? Michael was Michael Michael Fitzsimmons he was like the poet dude and at the end the book had been dedicated to Peggy Sue and a and a night under the stars so it was supposed to plant the idea that maybe she really did travel back in time which i thought mm. was kind of silly <laughs> personally you know i'm going i'm just going to say plot holes that's all i'm going to say um, yeah Listen, people, the, all of the queens listening to this movie, I know you like Kathleen Turner. I know you love Peggy Sue Got Married. I love Serial Mom too. okay? We've all seen Romancing the Stone. But listen, this movie, the fact that this is her only Academy Award nomination, I'm glad that she has been nominated. But honestly, um, I didn't really care for this movie. I found it to be... A lot of people watch this movie and they say that they love the nostalgia of the movie. I think that this is a kind of movie where like you kind of have to be a certain age to appreciate the nostalgia of the film because when you are a millennial and you're watching it in 2021 and you watch it through a lens of of, of 2021 social... It, like, it, it, it doesn't necessarily age well and frankly... Um, I don't know. I didn't. I feel like I'm like committing some kind of crime here, but I I didn't really care for this movie. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. So first of all, Nicolas <laughs> Cage is the love interest, and he has like a stuffy nose performance, um, mm -hmm. and he sounds like Pokey from like the Gumby Show. Um, and Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather, was the director of this movie. Is his uncle? Yeah, uh, didn't know that, and uh. I do have to say that he certainly had my attention at first because I was like, why is he talking like that? But do you ever notice in all of these old movies, they always make high school reunions seem like so necessary yeah. and so expensive and lavish. And they have these like big expensive like bands playing and decorations. And you're like, what? Like we have fucking high school reunion every day. It's called Facebook. And that's why I block a lot <laughs> of people. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, you were saying about uh, his, uh, the director being his uncle, apparently, according to Nicolas Cage, he was pressured by him to be in it. And he really didn't want to play the role. And he apparently only agreed to do it if he could play it in an over the top fashion. 
That's what he's quoted as saying. Oh, well, I know that he did the accent. They hated it. But everything that I read about this movie, it was all about him. And I was getting kind of annoyed about that because I was like, the fucking Mm. movie's called Peggy Sue Got Married, not Nicolas Cage Got Married. Like, this is (laughs) everything that I read about this movie. It was all about that. So, I mean, you know, um, she, you know, she's the the prom queen and then she goes back and everyone suddenly the viewer they're like oh she's such a good person now because she's being nice to all the losers and you're just like (laughs) uh like i don't know like there definitely were like funny moments that i really liked and kathleen turner is an amazing comedic performer i love whenever what was the line where it's like well if they find you back here peggy sue back in time and they find out that you're from the future they're gonna kill you and dissect you and rip you apart and then she goes oh no 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 that's why i got divorced you know just like little lines like that like i thought that was kind of funny and like little little character things and stuff like that um but (sighs) what did you think uh i think overall it was like a fun movie and the theme of sort of traveling back in time or whatever that was was enjoyable to go along with but i think overall the movie was also pretty ridiculous partially because of Nicolas Cage's performance just being so all over the place. Um, But also, you know, that poet guy that she ended up having sex with under the stars or whatever, he seemed like a straight up psychopath. When he started reading her his poetry, (laughs) he was like, sounded like he was going to kill her. And then she still slept with him. I don't know. (laughs) And then he invites her to go to Utah and be like in this polygamous relationship where the the women will work on the farm while he writes his poetry or something. And she just politely declines. Like, that's not a super weird thing to ask someone. I don't know. (laughs) It was... Yeah, that guy, the fucking, the love interest there, the like bad boy rebel was... uh, Billy or whatever from the mummy that Brendan Fraser like hates. Oh yeah. And he's taking all the Beatles and then all the Beatles like end up killing him. And he's That's like, no, him? he's like takes all the, no, he becomes like Emotep's like uh henchman. And then he tries to take all of his gold and then he like gets trapped inside. And then all of the, the... That's the same guy. That's the same guy. And the thing is, is it's so funny to me how like the standard of love interest in the 80s was like the bar (laughs) was so low. Like, oh, yeah. Well, because in the, you know, back in the 80s, they just didn't believe in dental work. Um, Yeah. Everyone has yellow teeth in these movies, I find. Everybody has yellow teeth. And the thing is, is I realized that that is incredibly superficial, but I'm sorry. I am so conditioned to like beauty standards of today that when I watch like old movies, I'm just like, woof. Like you guys look like you emerged from a cave. (laughs) Like what is going on? And so many of those hairstyles were unforgivable. But listen... If I'm being completely honest with you, I love a good comedic performance. I love when a good comedic performance gets recognized. Um, I really don't have much to say about this performance other than the ridiculousness of the actual movie. I frankly don't even really understand how she was nominated. <laughs> if I'm being like, that's so harsh, but I, 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 I mean, you know, I, I like there were things that I liked where it was like, um, she talks about eating M&Ms with her, sister at one point in the past and then there's no red m&ms and i'm like why but it's because red yeah. m&ms were discontinued in 1976 because red dye number two was a carcinogen so yeah like, i was wondering about that yeah i thought i thought that was like kind of interesting there were um you know uh i just didn't find an oscar moment her oscar moment that they used for like the on the telecast or whatever it was like when they're in the basement and he's like 
he Nicholas Cage like breaks into her house basically and like brings her down to the basement and is, oh that like, was his worst scene oh my god that was the yeah. one where I was like is he even here today like <laughs> oh my god I um I love the scene when she first first goes back to her childhood home and goes back to her room where she obviously spent a lot of time and then she sees her sister who was actually Coppola's um, daughter that was Sophia Coppola that's what I read. Mm-hmm. Um, But that was a sweet scene where she was just so genuinely happy to see her sister. And you could feel the weight of all the things that have happened since then in her relative future that she's all of a sudden free from. And she can just be there with this more innocent version of their relationship, you know, while it was still budding. Yeah, I mean, well, one thing that I noticed a lot about the movie is like back in the 80s and 90s, like what the hell did they think a 17 year old looked like? Because (laughs) Kathleen Turner was like a hard 35 or some like she was not middle aged, but she was clearly like in her mid to late 30s. And they're like, yeah, 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 she's 17. It's fine. Um, Yeah, that is a little weird. That there was just so many things going on in the movie that were I found distracting. Some of the things that I thought were really nice was when she picks up the phone and her grandma's on the phone and then she gets yes. really emotional yes. about that, you know, that was really th- touching. Yeah, that was touching. Oh, it's- but the ending was weird with the grandparents where they bring her to like the, the little <laughs> Shriners club or whatever. And then they think that she actually disappeared and no one questions it. They're just like, okay, let's drink. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know. It was like, like from the Simpsons, it reminded me of like the stone cutters or something yes, like yes. this, this comedic, cult that makes absolutely no sense but everyone's sort of in on it um just got so weird so fast it got so weird so fast and the thing is is if you can just kind of accept that when you're watching it and you're going into it and you're just kind of like okay i just accept that this is going to be a a ridiculous world and stuff like that light romp yeah i mean it had it had moments like i liked whenever she was trying to hook up with that like you know the guy from the mummy, like the, the love yeah. interest, the bad boy or the poet or whatever the hell he was, the one that looked like a serial killer. It's like, you know, when she was trying to hook up with him and I kind of liked where that was, where that was going. And I, 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 I didn't maybe love how she actually did end up getting together or back together with Nicholas Cage. Yeah. And I, it was just kind of like, well, what was the point? And it was like, Oh, well, you know, because then that way she saw that like, she can make it with him as long as he cannot follow his dreams. And I just didn't like, I didn't like the message of the movie. It wasn't that clear. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, this is, this is seriously, I, I feel like I'm going to have so many messages from so many angry, bitter Queens, but seriously, I, I love Kathleen Turner. I genuinely don't understand why she was nominated for an Academy award for this movie. I was like waiting for that Oscar moment. And I just, Frankly, I just felt like it just never happened. I think she was good in the in the film, but the plot and some of the other performances, there was so much working against her mm-hmm. that I think she did okay. But yeah, I agree with you. It seems weird for a nomination. It was a bit of a weird... Okay, yeah. I mean, I like... Yeah, okay. Can I... I yeah. Sorry, can I play um, this one thing? It's It's just a clip from the movie that I thought was extremely weird. It's four seconds long. Sure. It's Nicolas Cage when she's trying to get him to have sex in the car and she's naming all these different nicknames for his penis and then he says this <laughs> oh yeah you made my wang i stopped dead in my tracks when i heard that and i had to just pause it and laugh for like 10 minutes <laughs> well then why wasn't he nominated for a razzie like his <laughs> stuffed up nose performance was so distracting i yeah. i i mean nicholas cage is actually a very good actor but i mean that was just i read ridiculous. that he had false teeth too 
Oh, probably. He looked ridiculous. He was just, he was just ridiculous. And there was um, um, drama, like, outside of the movie, apparently. Kathleen Turner said she couldn't stand him, and she said that he had gotten arrested for drunk driving twice and stealing a chihuahua, but he later took those claims to court what? for defamation and won. Oh, wow. So I don't know what the real truth is, but it's, uh, anyways, a little bit of drama there. So I think that what we're kind of getting from then from this discussion is that like Nicolas Cage was the real was the real standout of this movie and not necessarily Kathleen yeah, Turner for better or for um, worse for better or for worse. OK, well, let's move on to our next nominee. Let's talk about Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. So, so James Cameron say. said that this was a story of parental love. Sigourney Weaver didn't really want to do this movie, but then James Cameron sold her on the story. One thing that I will say is that in the original release in 1986, James Cameron actually removed the scene whenever she finds out that her daughter is dead and she has to have like that. It, it's it's in the special edition that was re-released like, like in the 2000s, like on DVD yeah. or whatever. But literally like that scene would have made her performance even more, that much more... Um, emotionally um, captivating with her relationship with Newt as mm -hmm. obviously the reason why she's trying to protect Newt at all costs is because it's a reflection of her relationship with her daughter because her daughter died. I hate that James Cameron took out that scene because if you've seen the scene in the new extended version, um, it's a very powerful scene. It's very, very well acted. Sigourney is one of the greatest actors ever alive, and I hate that he removed that scene. That being said, though, you obviously can understand why um, she has a motivation to protect Newt, but I, I just think that that scene would have made um, her emotional connection to Newt a little bit stronger. Yeah, that was the one I watched was the director's cut as well, and uh, it definitely adds so much. Just finding out that her daughters lived and died while she was in cryosleep for 57 years or whatever. Which is um, fucked. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucked. And it, it explains her extreme motivations because like, especially when the girl falls at the end down the shaft or whatever, and she makes the decision to go after her, like it, it's a rough decision because the place is about to go nuclear in like, I think eight minutes or something at that point, And the ship is there <laughs> and they could leave. And I know that sounds extremely cold, but like, I, I think these military minded people might've made a different call realistically if, she, if Sigourney wasn't, or Ripley rather wasn't so motivated. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole the whole point of the script that uh, uh, Roger Ebert was like, oh, my God, is that it just never ends. Like, it's just nonstop action that builds and builds and builds and builds. And it's just like anxiety watching this movie. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then um, so James Cameron did did that on purpose, but it actually works really, really well. So for this nomination for Sigour for Sigourney Weaver, she was the first female to ever be nominated for an action film and it was a big it surprised a lot of people and when you watch the movie you can understand how in history this role of ripley in aliens was is one of the most iconic feminist heroes of all time so it makes sense why she would be nominated by the way if if anybody does not know what aliens is about i'm just going to quickly do this because I, I have to sure sure if, if anybody doesn't know what aliens is about it's literally you know based on the original movie alien where there is an egg and then out comes a face hugger and then the face hugger implants an alien in your stomach and then you think you're fine and then the alien bursts out of your stomach and then um kills everybody on the spaceship and then this is basically a continuation of that because Sigourney <laughs> escapes the planet 
escapes the alien. And then in the second one, they're like, hey, like, you know, the planet that you got away from where you discovered all those aliens and stuff like that, they were killing people. Well, they are wreaking havoc on a little colony that we started. And now we want you to go back to, I don't know, offer your expertise. And then everybody dies except for Newt and Bishop and that <laughs> other guy. I can't remember his name. Um, oh, my God. It's not Hudson. It's the other one. Well, here's a pro tip for Ripley. Hey, girl, before you go into cryogenic sleep, and this goes for all alien movies, check the fucking ship for eggs. Like, <laughs> just do it just once. Just really, Lord, like, because it's like every fucking time there's always a face hugger or there's always an egg every time, and then it continues the series. But God. Yeah, I really thought she had such a great performance, though, in the sense that it was. So believable against a very fantastical backdrop, obviously, with, you know, just the setting and the sci-fi nature of the movie. But mm -hmm. you really believe her and the fact that she has this, like, post-traumatic stress from the events of the first film. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in that one, there's only one alien that's stalking them on their ship. But then mm -hmm. this, this one, it's like, you know, how many countless numbers of them. So I, I believe her fear so much. Well, exactly. And the thing is, is this is a perfect example of to just kind of show how... So many scripts let actors down because Alien was a great script, but then Aliens is like an even more amazing version of a script. And then you have an actor like Sigourney Weaver that can turn this into an Academy Award nominated performance. But it's like there are so many actors that are capable of like making performances like Meryl Streep all the time, but scripts and directors often fail them. And Sigourney Weaver to elevate the franchise to a point where she's getting nominated and making history. I mean, that's insane. And the thing is, is um, with uh, this movie, I mean, I love how there's no love story. No, I mean, I guess it's kind of implied with that, with that, guy uh, that we Hicks. Can't his name is Hicks Hicks that's right yeah. it was kind of implied that maybe there was a bit of a love story going on there but I love that it 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 wasn't central it really is a story about um you know a mother daughter sort of relationship she's tough she's sensitive when she needs to be she is a very complicated person and the thing is there's a lot of roles for women during this time you never saw something like this and, and you would never see a performance like this especially in an action movie coming from a woman so you know, James Cameron is very good at writing strong female characters. You know, you have um, Titanic, you have Terminator, you have um, even Avatar, really. So um, I yeah, this this is iconic. This is an iconic performance. Yeah, the alien queen at the end was pretty epic as well. The only thing I thought was a little <laughs> ridiculous is when the alien gets sucked out into the vacuum of space. And we're supposed to believe that Ripley is hanging on by like yes. the crook of her elbow on this metal <laughs> ladder rung and her arm's not just going to snap. Like, I don't know, that that I found a little bullshitty, but other yeah. than that. <laughs> I know she's just this like skinny little waif, but she's able to. Yeah, no, I know. I thought the exact same thing. Um, Bill Paxton's game over, man, all those lines <laughs> that was all improv. Um, she, uh, Sigourney Weaver had so many notes for how Ripley would respond, um, to a lot of, um, lines and scenes and James Cameron actually accommodated most of her requests. So, you know, she's clearly an artist. I absolutely love that. Um, the little girl, Carrie Hen, yeah. who played Newt. This was her only acting role ever. Whoa. Um, the, <laughs> uh, Velasquez, the butch lesbian in space, uh, that soldier, 
she yeah. was my fave part because if I was trapped in space and there was a butch lesbian with a gun, it would put me at ease. Well, and um, she was like a martyr in the end because she blew herself up to to stall the horde a bit, you know? Yep. No, that's absolutely, absolutely correct. Sigourney Weaver didn't even want to do a sequel to Alien um, until James Cameron came along with a really great script. And the only reason why she agreed to do it, it was because of the mother-daughter angle. Um, and she hated that that scene got cut that uh where she finds out that her daughter is dead and i have to agree with her yeah it's a weird um, choice and paul riser they... was fantastic sorry paul riser was fan yeah paul riser was fantastic absolutely wait is paul wait paul riser is that bishop no he's the guy who was like the snide weaselly dude who was trying to get the aliens back to make a bunch of money yeah and he, there's and always kept, like... somebody in james cameron's scripts that is motivated by money <laughs> Yeah, I just forgot how much I liked him as an actor, and I thought he was really solid. I know he's not really who we're supposed to be talking about here, but uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. Well, the actor, I have to find his name, the actor that actually plays Bishop. Um, oh, Lance Henriksen. Lance, Lance Henriksen. So um, a comedian friend of mine, Ryan Dillon, actually did an, a, like a TV show or a commercial or something with him. Oh no! And the way. last time that I watched this movie, we like texted him, and he was like texting us back, and he was like, "Oh, what are you guys up to today? Oh, cool!" Like it was, it was very. He's a really nice guy, apparently. That's awesome. Yeah, he was. He's a really, really nice guy. I love that. Um, my favorite part of this movie, uh, is when she is in the queen's like nest of eggs, which is a giant gross. And mm -hmm. she like has the flamethrower and then she kind of makes a deal being like, if you let me leave, I'm not going to torch your fucking nest. And she's like, okay. And then she starts backing up and then the aliens just decide to go for her anyway. And she gives the queen that look where she's just like, oh no, we had a deal, bitch, but fine. And then she just fucking torches the place. That is my <laughs> favorite I could watch. I rewound that part like seventeen times. That was badass. I thought She's... that. I thought it went down differently. I thought that the the aliens did back off and they were going to let her leave, and she just said "fuck you" anyways and, and burned them all to hell. That's... No, no, no. They start making a move to to. Oh, okay. I missed yeah. that. And then she's just like. Oh, she's like, okay, but she's the only person in the movie that makes sense because at one point she's literally just like, "Can't we just like nuke them? Like, we'll just get into a ship." Yeah, And then we'll just nuke the shit out of them and then that'll be it. And then all of the military people are like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Also, did they deepen her voice? I don't know. I think there she was, has a deep voice, doesn't she? It's, well, kind of not that deep. Like there were some scenes where she was like, <laughs> Bishop, get away from me. It was very, <laughs> it was very intense. Maybe she was putting it on. I don't know. Maybe it was just a modulation she did on her own. Well, the famous line from this movie, of course, is the get away from her, you bitch. Yeah. I don't I don't know about that. I hate that. Like, it's kind of cheesy. Right? It is a little cheesy. It's very blockbuster kind of. Yeah. Um, but uh, apparently Sigourney Weaver based Ripley um, off of a a friend of hers that was, quote, uns an unsentimental environmentalist. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's random. Yeah. Which is. Which is sort of interesting. Um, but, you know, this is another example of James Cameron using women as champions, both mentally and physically. And I think that that's very rare in a lot of films. And whenever they were trying to negotiate her salary for this movie, um, 
I can't remember who produced this movie, but uh, they tried to get her out of the film. They tried to get rid of her. They wanted an alternate storyline where uh, she just Ripley was not part of it. Weird. Why, though? She was so great in the first one. Cost effective. Cameron, James Cameron basically refused it, saying that um, the series was literally about her. So to yeah. get rid of her is uh, is is stupid, basically. Um, but just in terms of an acting performance, it's it's everything. It's drama. It's action. Um, it's it's anxiety. It's fear. It's um, it's everything. I this is. Yeah, I can completely see why she was nominated for an Oscar for it. What was like your sort of favorite moment, though, in the movie, like just in terms of acting? I would honestly just say the bond with Newt because I really did believe it. And like you said about the director's cut, which was the version I watched, it was just so much weight in the story that goes behind that, especially as a parent, I'm just like, Oh my God. <laughs> so um, I would just say, yeah, their chemistry together was probably throughout the film, sort of a highlight for me, but there's so much to like about this movie. And, and she really does have such range in her performance as Ellen Ripley. And yeah, I, I loved almost everything about this movie. Yeah. There's not really much to say about this movie other than just like perfection, like it, everything, like it's like the, yeah, the, the sets, action. the yeah, practice. A lot of practical I, special effects that were really, really well done and groundbreaking at the time, I would assume. Well, the team that he used as his special visual effects and production designers was the same team from uh, the first one, but they hated James Cameron because they were so loyal to Ridley Scott. And apparently James Cameron wanted things lit and done in a James Cameron way. And they refused mm. because at this point, you know, Terminator hadn't even come out yet. He wasn't established as a super amazing director yet. So um, they hated him. Uh, he fired a bunch of people. A lot of people walked off set. Um, I've heard he's quite difficult, but I mean, you know, difficult people tend to create some of the best work. And it's yeah, he, he's probably very verbally abusive, but it's worth it. <laughs> I just uh, actually remembered another scene that I really loved, which was when they were watching the the ammunition count go down on those uh, automated guns and the aliens just keep coming and and i just thought that was a pretty creepy scene you know mm -hmm. i i i know I, everything about that movie is just a panic attack yeah um, the acid blood like acid blood is such a fucked up concept <laughs> it was designed by like this artist in the 1970s in new york and he had all this bizarre artwork and that's basically where ridley scott was like we're gonna use you yeah Ge kind of geiger this... i think his name is or yeah and like the xenomorph was like made out of it but this <laughs> those things scared the shit out of me when i was a kid um Oh my, okay, well, we, we need to talk about somebody else, but I could talk about aliens, like, literally. Yes. All day. There's a lot to, to go over here, for sure. Okay, let us talk about the most ridiculous movie in this year. Let us talk about Sissy Spacek in Crimes of the Heart. Oh my god, I just oh. watched this last night. Oh my god, first of all, the only crime that happened was pedophilia. Um, yes, how are we supposed yeah. to like that character still? Yeah, so basically Crimes of the Heart is um, a 1980s movie where there's lots of saxophone and it stars <laughs> Jessica Lange and Diane Keaton and Sissy Spacek. And the fact that they're related in any world is just like comedy to me. Um, this movie <laughs> is basically about three sisters that, um, you know, uh, I don't even reunite in their 
their their home that they grew up in in the most problematic part of the south the n-word gets used at least three times they basically just all get together to reflect on their white privilege it is um, a movie where Sissy Spacek is supposed to be crazy because her mom committed suicide because she was crazy. So then I guess Sissy Spacek is crazy. And then she shoots her husband because she's having an affair with a 15 year old black boy. And then her husband finds out about it. And then she shoots him and makes lemonade. It is, <laughs> it is the most confusing movie. I hate the way that they're regarding mental health. I yeah. hate the way that it's handled. There are so many mental health movies that have been done since that do sm- a much better job. This movie was so confusing to me. This movie was so boring to me. This movie <laughs> was, um, a, I'm sorry, but it, it was like, no, you're saying funny. everything I think. Yeah. This uh, movie was ridiculous. It was like, it's funny because hearing you go over the plot makes it sound sort of like it would be an exciting movie. And they they managed to cram all that into the most boring. It feels like small talk for like 95% of the movie with like nuggets of plot information that you're supposed to find. But you're so bored that you're like not even listening anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I just I mean, I did. I forced myself to listen, but I found it just to be a really boring pacing most of the time. And I actually wrote down terrible score. It all sounded like soft sax porno music. So I agreed with you on that. And yeah, the same thing about the pedophilia. It's like you find out Sissy Spacek's banging this 15-year-old kid and you're supposed to still sort of like go with her as one of the protagonists or whatever you want to call it. I just found it very weird. The movie was just so weird. Yeah, and they took photographs of the 15-year-old fucking her in the garage and then they were looking at the photographs and distributing them. That's child pornography. (laughs) Yeah, and um, Diane Keaton's character is like, no one will want to date me because of my deformed ovary. It's like, I I think there's lots of people that would not think that's that big of a deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, like like gorgeous Diane Keaton. I know. Like, I hate that in old movies whenever they literally try to, like, have the most gorgeous characters to be like, I'm so relatable because I'm so gross and unattractive. (laughs) Yeah, she dresses like like a grandma the whole movie. It's like, oh, yeah, you're so unattractive. I fucking hate that so much. It's so stupid. Um, Also, whenever they were talking about how Babe... By the way, Sissy SpaceX character is named Babe. How Babe shot Zachary, her husband. It was like Jessica Lange and Diane Keaton were talking about it like it was a joke. Yeah. And so the tone of the movie is very confusing because you have pedophilia. You have, well, I guess attempted murder. You have um, child pornography. And then when you're watching this movie, they're also saying the N-word a bunch. Like it's nothing. It's built as a comedy though. It's billed as a comedy and it's supposed to be like, these characters are just kooky and crazy. And it's like, I just feel like this person who's writing this. And again, I could be completely wrong and I probably am, but the person writing this, I feel like they just go like, okay, I feel like I'm just going to write a character that is just crazy. And we're just going to let it all unfold where there are. Oh, right. Because everything, by the way, was supposed to be motivated from the suicide of their mother. And frankly, that was not clear. And the mom hanged her cat, too. Which is I know. weird. <laughs> I know. They had a little tiny white blanket over the kitty cat. Um, okay, well, so one of Sissy SpaceX's quirks was that um, she uh, would always put, like, 14 pounds. And I'm serious. Like, she would take, like, a giant mug of sugar, and she would put it into her lemonade or her Coca-Cola, and then she would chew her lemonade or her Coca-Cola. First of all, how many fucking cavities would this bitch have? Like yeah. that is 
alarming. Uh, and uh, oh, that's funny. I wrote down a double suicide with mom and cat. I wrote that down too. <laughs> I think we're both on the same page about this movie. This movie, it was like a low rent campy version of Steel Magnolias. Yeah, but more boring. <laughs> more, more. I, I, it, okay. It kept, okay. First of all, I would say that Sissy Spacek was definitely the best part of the movie. I think that Sissy Spacek knew what movie she was in and she was acting the part very well. I think that the script failed her. I think that her performance was frankly like kind of annoying. Um, an hour and 12 minutes into the movie, by the way, I wrote down a note that nothing has happened. Like Exactly. It took forever to get to a point. Um I just the, I don't I I just don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. I wrote down that the greatest scenes, in my opinion, which there were a couple I thought that were okay, were the sibling bonding moments. So there was the one point where all three of them were going through the photo album, and maybe because I have two brothers and we're all, you know, it's quite different in our own ways. But it just showed that like when you're with your siblings, there are these certain things that can kind of be common ground where you're all kind of on the same page for a minute. And I thought they sort of showcased that with that scene pretty well, as well as the part where they start uncontrollably laughing after um, the the one sister's like, well, it's fine. I'll, I'll go tell granddaddy. It's not like he's in a coma or anything. And then they're, they start laughing because he actually did just fall into a coma. And that rem- <laughs> reminded me of me and my brothers, you know, getting in trouble, laughing about something stupid at the dinner table and my dad getting pissed off like, what is so funny? You know, <laughs> so th- there were real sibling con- connections in those two scenes to me, but. That's about it. I mean, I don't agree with you because I felt like when they were laughing about the coma scene, I felt like it was just this, oh, look how quirky they are because the atypical thing to do in this situation would be to laugh. So I'm going to do something that's atypical. (laughs) It just felt like I am going to write a, a kooky, quirky character at every opportunity that I, it just wasn't believable is what I'm saying. Like, for example, when she, um, Sissy Spacek finally tries to hang herself, uh, and she tries to hang herself, by the way, I, as a viewer, did not understand why she was hanging herself. And if it was clear to everybody else, it was not clear to me. Although I will say that, frankly, if I was trapped in this plot, I would consider hanging myself too. <laughs> that is all I would say. Yeah, she put her head in the oven too. It it felt very, this movie felt very campy. It felt like watching three drag queens perform. It was very, I didn't get the tone if it was serious, if it was, if it was a joke. Um, I feel like she put her head in the oven And it was like, you know, that's the 1980 standards of writing mental illness. It was very inaccurate. It was portrayed in such a together kind of way because Sissy Spacek, she seemed kind of normal and she seemed like a totally normal person until she would start putting a bunch of sugar in her lemonade or until she would shoot her husband or until because what was the crazy thing that she did? She was like tired of being controlled by her husband. So she had an affair. It's like, does that make her crazy? Like, well, I just didn't with a get kid, it. It makes her pretty crazy. I mean, sure, but apparently <laughs> in the South, this was perfectly acceptable. Um, well, that's the thing. I found it hard to tell, like what decade this was supposed to be taking place, and it felt like it should have been the fifties or the sixties. But then I think it was actually supposed to be present day 80s. in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And every single action that they made as siblings, it was always 
met with this unanimous celebratory scream of boisterous laughter. They were like hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> they were hysterical about everything. Like they would drop a box of chocolates and they would burst out laughing or, you know, their, their, their grandfather was in a coma and they would burst out laughing or somebody would be like, I have to go to court. And they would like burst out laughing. It was, it was such a confusing movie, confusing characters. I didn't understand the motivation for a lot of their actions. Uh, Sissy Spacek is a great actor. Maybe this is one of those, like you had to be around during this time to get the context of it. I'm not sure, but I did not enjoy this movie. And um, I will say though, I can under I can understand why Sissy Spacek was nominated for an Oscar over, let's say, Kathleen Turner for Peggy Sue Got Married because Sissy Spacek did have those Oscar moments. She did have those breakdowns. She did have those little quirky moments. She did have a clear characterization of what was going on. She knew the movie that she was in. I can see and understand why of everybody in the movie, you know, she was nominated. But wait for it. Did you know that the neighbor the like the annoying cousin neighbor oh, was yeah, nominated was so for she was nominated for a supporting role for this movie really yes maybe for her hair yeah <laughs> jesus she looked like a, a chicken or something oh absolutely absolutely okay enough about this ridiculous crimes of the heart movie um and the big scrapbook with the heart on it was that a symbol was that a device oh that was I'm, terrible too oh, the, the ending I, was so cheesy I don't get it. I, honestly, and even when I was saying the the sort of positive things about those two sibling scenes, that's me putting icing on a turd here. Like I'm not <laughs> I, I hated this movie. I don't blame you. Okay, let's talk about Jane Fonda in the morning after. So <laughs> um I actually really enjoyed this movie. What was interesting was that this movie, this Academy Award nomination for Jane Fonda was the only nomination this movie ever got normally when you see these movies uh you click on it on imdb and it shows you like a list of awards and you know they have like the the uh, new york film critics society they have the i don't know the chicago film critics the toronto international cans all that stuff they have all these different types of indie awards but there was none of that. It was just this one award. And I find that so interesting that the Oscars would single out a performance because um, they kind of did that with uh, Marissa Tomei with uh, My Cousin Vinny, where she wasn't nominated for anything and then she just won. So for Jane Fonda, uh, also Elizabeth Taylor with Butterfield 8. So for Jane Fonda, she probably was a little surprised by this by this nomination. And um before we get into that, I have to say she actually she was originally in the movie The Accused, you know, the movie that Jodie Foster won an Oscar for. Yeah, she was in The Accused and she dropped out to film this movie the morning after. So the morning after is Jane Fonda is a famous actress on television that wakes up at like this big loft party in the morning after. And she was super drunk the night before. And when she wakes up, there's like a dead body next to her and she doesn't know if she did it or perhaps there's a conspiracy to frame her. Um, so yeah, I, what, I mean, where do I, where do I begin? Um, so, okay. So yeah, she dropped out of the accused. This is the film's only nomination. Um, the movie's called the morning after originally, I thought that it was going to be about a pill. Uh, the music was uh very upbeat, even though she found a dead body at the yes. very beginning. Oh my God. <laughs> Bruce Valanche was a bartender at one point. I thought that was really funny. Um, so my main issue with this movie is there wasn't 
really much of a murder mystery aspect to it as there was so much a first date falling in love with Jeff Bridges aspect to it. Um, She's an alcoholic in this movie. She struggles with her alcoholism. And that is really where the movie and the performance really shines. At least for me. I was going to say, I, I this is one where I hard disagree. It was watchable because I thought it was so ridiculous. But mm-hmm. um, for me, yeah, no. They, I wrote down what you said about the, the opening scene because that was sucking me in. I liked the murder scene at the beginning and I was like, okay, suspenseful. And then they cut to this like Zeller's music and just this boring opening credits montage and it totally sucked me out of it. But that's the main criticism I had about the film was that it kept switching tone and theme between like being a suspense being a comedy or being a romance movie and i feel like it didn't really nail any of those one because it tried to be all three to be honest yeah i mean i i would have to completely agree with you because the thing is is the acting is very good it's a very good performance but tonally i complete it's like what is this is this a is a thriller is it a is it a comedy is it a drama like what i do agree with you there it was kind of all over the place um and you know Again, oh, Jeff Bridges, this character, he's just casually racist. And I was going to say the lovable racist character. Yeah, all the time. It was just this. It was uh, there was a lot of that in this movie. And um, I think Jane Fonda, though, you know, when she's in the car at one point admitting to Jeff Bridges that she stabbed her ex-husband, she has a drinking problem. It's very difficult for her to admit that. Very well acted. Um, but, you know, when you watch these movies, this is, again, during a time when um women couldn't be abusive right like women yeah. could punch a guy in a, in the face and it it's totally fine because guys should be able to just take it it's i hate that shit so fucking much but yeah. again it's a different time and she was clearly in, ashamed of it well she's and in the crying. end she's still being manipulated by a man too so when when like in the in the climax of the movie it turns out that her ex-husband was like framing her to hide his girlfriend being the actual murderer or whatever it was. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, I think that for me, really the, the acting was when, you know, she's just pounding vodka. She throws her drink at, at Jeff Bridges. Um, and she just is like, you know, he's, he's criticizing her and she's like, well, you know, you think you're so fucking great. Like you live in like a silo. Like what the fuck, like who the fuck are you to judge me? For me, um, because it was, you know, she had the gorgeous hair and she was beautiful Jane Fonda. I I really felt, because it did, I I don't know if you've ever seen her original Oscar winning role for Clute. It was like a more glamorous version of the movie Clute with less structure and story. Because she's kind of being hunted down by this mysterious person. And, um, you know, there's similar storylines. And so it, it it was easy to see you know, Jane Fonda and something, cause she's done something like this before. Um, but yeah, I keep saying it. I really feel like her performance, which got her that nomination was really when she was struggling with her alcoholism, because I think that her running away from everybody and talking to her drag queen friends, it, it was all just kind of fluff. Yeah. I was going to say like, there were some strong scenes and the one that you talked about where she throws the bottle and, and she just, she really did seem like she was losing her mind a bit and, and going off the deep end. But 
there was scenes that I felt the opposite where there's this one scene where they're having like the makeshift Thanksgiving dinner out on the patio and they're kind of flirting a little bit and she seems relatively coherent and they're maybe sipping on wine or whatever. And then the phone rings and she can barely walk to the phone and then starts cackling maniacally and then begins crying. And I was just like, I don't think you can get that drunk that quickly off a sip of wine. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I thought he drugged her and then I thought it was going to be, oh, Jeff Bridges is the murderer. Oh, they alluded to I that a couple of times, I think. I thought that's where it was going. And then obviously it didn't go there. It just really seemed to be focused on Jeff Bridges and Jane Fonda's romance. And then like every 10 or 15 minutes, it'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a corpse following me. around." Yes, yes. And every time you got sucked into the suspense, it would get flushed down the toilet like five minutes later when they would go back to the lighthearted stuff. And this is what I'm talking about, where scripts fail amazing actors and actresses. It, uh, it's so frustrating. Um, by the way, anybody listening, her husband in the movie was Gomez Adams. Uh, I couldn't yes. figure that. I was um, like, Raul Julia, yeah. Yeah, I was like, why is he so familiar? And I was like, oh my God, that's fucking Gomez Adams. Um, he has the funniest line in the movie to me, where those two guys are in his salon and they're saying, uh, like, what are you? Were you some kind of fag? And his response right. is, how bad do you want to know? <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Yeah, that was great. That was oh, great. Man, best um, comeback ever. Um, well, oh, absolutely. I think, I think though, at the, at the end, because, listen, I actually did enjoy this movie. I agree with you that it was kind of all over the place. But frankly, I actually, if I watch this movie again, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I like Jane Fonda, and I, I like these kind of silly movies. Uh, but... Um, I think the only thing that I didn't really like about it was that I think I would have preferred if they didn't end up together. In yeah, the, the end. ending was terrible. It was so cheesy. They do the trick. I don't think it worked. Yeah. It was just so corny. Oh, my God. It was so dumb. And then he's like, I'm going to count to three and then you're not going to be here anymore. And it just seemed very toxic that they would have gotten back together. I think that it would have been more powerful and more believable if it was just sort of like we've saved each other. We've helped each other. I think that, you know, we're both very toxic together. Um, but thank you for helping me survive. Goodbye. I think that would have made the script so much better. One part in the script I thought was ridiculous was the uh, when he goes to see his cop friend and the guy says, yeah, whoever did the cleanup at the crime scene was a real pro. We only found a single blonde hair. Meanwhile, <laughs> rewind 20 minutes earlier in the movie or whenever, and she's drunkenly cleaning everything with like a tumbler of whiskey and kind of just sloppily like <laughs> rubbing the wall. There's still blood in the rag. I just don't believe that at all. I know. But I mean, if there's one thing that I've learned from Unsolved Mysteries is that it is so easy to get away with murder as long as you just clean up and you didn't let any of your hair fall out and your wig gloves <laughs> and it has to be well, a magic eraser. Yeah, I uh, or a magic eraser. It, it's scary. <laughs> it's it's scary. It's scary. Um, but listen, I actually really enjoyed her in this movie. I think that her alcohol her alcoholic story was really what kept my interest. I thought that was the most interesting part of her character. And I thought it was very well acted. She played drunk very well. Yeah. I I mean, maybe what I had criticized earlier was more of a script thing, but when I saw her go from being relatively sober to being like hammered drunk, that to me was not great acting. Um, (laughs) I don't know, but that could be the script and the director. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So um, I don't know. Like, I didn't hate this movie. I thought it was very watchable as well. And I think that if you go into it with like a lighthearted kind of campy yeah. vibe, then I think you will enjoy it. But I don't know that that would make me want, uh, you know, an Oscar win for her for that performance. I think there were really strong parts in the performance, but I think the script and maybe the direction dragged it from being like a stellar performance to just like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. Right. I, at least for me personally. 
No, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying and I agree with you, but I just, I, I love the ridiculousness of how she always woke up with this like big bouffant teased gorgeous <laughs> hair. I, I always find that very funny. Um, Okay, so let's talk about our winner, Marley Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. Children of a Lesser God is a play that Marley Matlin starred in years earlier, but she was playing a supporting role. I'm assuming probably one of the students at the school and the producers of this movie that wanted to make this movie loved Marley Matlin so much that they cast her in it. Of all of the nominees, this is the only... um, nominated performance that was also a nominee for best picture Hmm. um my first impression of marley matlin in this movie was that she was brunette and i didn't recognize her because if you are uh if you are millennial or if you know um you know maybe even uh gen xers maybe they don't even know but marley matlin for me i think of celebrity apprentice oh Um, I can't remember if she won. I think she did. But basically, um, you know, Marley Matlin to me is is blonde. She's on Family Guy. I didn't know of her Academy Award winning performance. I've never really seen her in anything. We're, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But basically, everyone always said that Sigourney Weaver should have won the Oscar over Marley Matlin. And I was always like, yeah, but I've never seen this movie before. And um, I was very, very curious to see it. Um, Marley Matlin to this day is still the youngest best actress Oscar winner at 21 years old when she won this. She is also the only nominee to ever, or the only winner to ever win for a deaf character. And she is actually a deaf person or hearing impaired. I apologize if deaf is a derogatory and a hearing impaired person. Um, I think that that really just goes to show how uninclusive Hollywood is when you're Marley Matlin, you're at the top of your career, you're the youngest Oscar winner in history, you're also um, hearing impaired, you're probably uh, a role model and a hero for so many um, hearing impaired people in the world, and then they just never make a script for her ever again, and then she goes into TV, and then she just fucks off. <laughs> you know it's just like cool like great it's just you you could have had an amazing moment with her you could have she could have gone on to be a huge movie star be yeah. a hero for so and then it just it just didn't work out like that i think that's just so typical if marley matten lit had a, an oscar winning role today uh you know i feel like her career probably had a, would would have had more longevity and probably she yeah but back then it was just a flash in the pan it was something like hey check out this movie with this unique angle and then you know everyone That's got right. over it or whatever as far as culture at large but i agree like she's very talented and it would it's kind of a shame you know that she didn't uh, pursue even more film well i've never seen this movie so children of a lesser god for anybody who doesn't know it's about william hurt coming in to save the day on an island of deaf people and basically it's like this <laughs> school for people that are hearing impaired and he comes in and he's a teacher and he tries to help teach um linguists like he's like a linguist teacher for people that are hearing impaired so it's like um they can speak basically he teaches deaf people how to speak um and uh first of all oh my god william hurt in this movie is like so sexy and i like really enjoyed watching this film um it's definitely when you see marley matlin for the first time she's like the the problematic groundskeeper who (laughs) stuck around at the school way longer than she had to because she graduated but she she's was got so a real difficult. cat lady vibes for sure yeah and like she's also gorgeous and like she uh is so misunderstood she doesn't speak at all 
and that limits her and what she can and cannot do in the world. And uh, she has a lot of anger and it stems because her father resented her because she was deaf, which drove her away. And then her mother hated Marley Matlin because she basically blamed Marley Matlin for the reason why her father left, even though obviously it's not Marley Matlin's fault. And then it's about her, you know, coming to terms with her mother again. Um, it's a very, very intense Manchester by the sea vibes kind of story where it's just a lot of traumatic things. And um, okay. So before, let's just get into it. So Marley Matlin's movie, every single scene that she was in had like insane presence. And it's this kind of performance that like, I've never really seen before. It really had my attention. Uh, I loved her in this movie. Uh, what did you think? Uh, overall, I really enjoyed the film. I found it was really endearing and William Hurt was very charming and all the moments with the students were just heartwarming. And you know, the, the, what was it? The boomerang song. I really like when they did the concert. Yeah. I was so fucking pumped when that was going on. Um, but, uh, as far as her performance, I thought she was really strong. She couldn't conveyed a lot of emotion, obviously without everything that a speaking actor would have, uh, at their disposal. So I really did enjoy it. And, uh, it was just learning about hearing impaired lifestyle was, was interesting as well. I just, it really sucked mm -hmm. me in the movie. But why don't they tell most more stories like this? I feel like a lot of Hollywood thinks like, oh, well, who would want to pay money to see that? It's like a lot of people because there's like these whole worlds out there. Yes. Especially it's that, that like we don't know anything about. And I'd like to know more. Like um, there was a, a, a winner of America's Next Top Model. And it was like when they had guys on the season. His name is Niall DeMarco. Oh, my God. He's gorgeous. And he is hearing impaired. And I when he won. America's Next Top Model, I started learning sign language in case I ever ran into him. Like, <laughs> just in case. I was like, we're, it'll, and then I was like, it's our love language. Like, I literally was like so obsessed with it. And I literally was like, you know, there, why aren't there stories like that? Like, I think sign language is super cool. Like, I want to learn it just because it looks fun and interesting to try and, and to be able to communicate with people in that way would be just, I don't know, a trip. I, 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 I I agree. I, I think it would be so I I think it's really fascinating. I think it's a really interesting world and story that we never really get to see in, in film, which is obviously why this film is so groundbreaking. Now, do Although, you know if William Hurt learned sign language for the film or if he already had experience with maybe like a, a family member or someone who was deaf or hearing impaired rather? I would imagine probably for the film. Um, I couldn't I find actually, it. I was researching and I really couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, probably, probably for, oh, by the way, this movie was the first film to be nominated for Best Picture that was directed by a woman. Oh, wow. Randa Haynes. Um, it, one thing that was unclear, though, uh, I didn't understand, and it was a little, uh, you know, not, not very believable to me, was Marley Matlin's character seemed very witty and very funny, and they all thought and treated her like she was stupid. Like it was very unclear why yeah. they thought that she was incapable of doing anything. Like at the poker because... game, they're like, very good, Sarah. You're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was, they were always shocked when she was good at anything. I know. And it was like, I don't know if that's a combination of like ableism and ignorance, but it was just sort of like, she's doing every single job in the school. And she has like witty comebacks to everything. It's just, the only thing is that she can't, speak and you know that is for her character the big climax is when she finally does speak mm -hmm. and she finally does say that she's afraid oh my god like, that was an amazing scene that now you know that really that really gives me goosebumps because that was like yeah a, that scream oh god, she that does was a very is just so powerful, powerful vulnerable scene 
for Marley Matlin. And it's interesting, you know, watching something like this, you're kind of like, the subject matter is... It is it is kind of focused around her deafness. And I mean, you know, this is how they told the stories back in the 1980s. But it's also a story about love. It's a story about her family, her mother, well, specifically her mother, because that's the only one that, you know, she can really talk to. Um, she had a sister, didn't she? Did we ever meet her sister? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, it there's so much going on and you really kind of have to ask yourself, like, you're like, well, how do you act without words? How do you act? Well, this by is signing. This is one of the things that I, I found was a little weird. And apparently Robert or Roger Ebert echoed this, all the narration that, uh, that William Hurt was doing. Like you would think that if two people could use sign language to communicate, they probably wouldn't bother talking out loud if it's of no benefit to the other person who can't hear what you're saying. You know what I mean? It felt like it was for the audience. So yeah. why not Why not use uh, subtitles in those situations? But it seems like it's because they're obviously catering to a, a hearing person's movie and that kind of an audience as opposed to deaf people would have no problem with subtitles. They would probably prefer it. And I think it would have been more realistic. But wouldn't it be less realistic because deaf people would understand sign language so they don't need subtitles? Well, oh yeah, I suppose in that I sense. Just blow but, your mind. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, but the other people still have to have some idea of what's going on, and at that point, subtitles would be the only way for for non-signing people to even understand the plot. But uh, just having William Hurt narrate everything that either he or her were signing at every given moment seemed a little bit unrealistic. Like maybe I'm wrong, but. I know I you know listen I kind of thought about that too I was like I don't know if it's necessary for him to have to repeat absolutely everything mm -hmm. what about subtitles but you know at the same time like I feel like in the 1980s because there really was never a movie like this before um, yeah I mean whatever I mean there was the miracle worker but that's not quite the same they thing. wanted to make it palatable to audiences yeah I, I, but the thing is is like um yeah I, exactly. I think that they were like, this was a different time. It was a different decade. I think that they were like, well, we, we want to have as a broad of, um, of likability or appeal as possible. Maybe that's why they did it. Maybe not. I don't know. But I thought that one of the most um, powerful scenes was obviously when she finally speaks. Um, but I also feel um, the, I think that the only part that really kind of made me cry, because it's not really like a sad movie exactly, but one part that kind of made me cry um was when she's trying to get him to express music for her because like she can't listen to yes. it. So he's trying to express it to her. And um, he's just like, I, I can't like, I don't know how, cause she can express what a wave feels like, but he can't express how music feels like. So it's like, they kind of live in these two very different worlds and they experience the world in two very different ways. And then he feels bad for her. And then she says like, don't feel sad for me. Yeah. That moment kind of made me cry because it's, it's true. It's like, we, uh, it's such an ableist sort of attitude to look at somebody that is hearing impaired and think like, oh, but it's like, no, like they just experience the world in a completely different way. They have their own life that they experience. It's like, it's not better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. So don't go around pitying them, you know, because they probably don't want it. Yeah. I, I loved, I really, really liked this movie. If you guys have never seen children of a lesser God, really check it out. Very, and what very about good. the sex scene where he was like getting all kinky, like say my name. Like it was clearly <laughs> a thing for him that he wanted. I thought that was an <laughs> no, interesting. I didn't, I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, that definitely 
Well, but no, because the... through the whole movie, he's trying to get her to talk, but in a very platonic, I want to help you way. And then in the bedroom, right. when they finally hook up, he's like, just say it, just say my name. And you can tell he's like getting off on it a bit. Oh, yeah. No, that was that was definitely a thing. Also, apparently, because uh, William Hurt was because he had won the year before for. What was that movie called? It was called like the spider something. Wait, I need to look this up. William Hurt. Are you going to talk about their relationship? Um, no, no, no. I, like, oh, man. yeah, well, basically. So, okay. So because it was a uh, kiss of the kiss of the spider woman. Oh so yeah. He had won. He had won that. He had won the year before. So he presented best actress. So then he presented her with her best actress Oscar, which is like, if you're a fan of the movie, like that's a really romantic kind of little thing. Mm-hmm. Gives him a kiss. And then she does her speech. No, uh, Marley Matlin. Um, she doesn't speak. She uses a, a, an, an interpreter to, to speak for her. And she did for the speech. Very, very nice. But apparently years later, Marley Matlin had, Matlin had some book and she said that like she lived with William Hurt. And apparently like William Hurt was like. Um, An abusive drunk. <laughs> That's what I read. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Well, the age gap that. was pretty wide, right? Because if my math isn't wrong, which I'm hoping it's not, when she was 21, I think he would have been 36 and they were supposedly dating and he was abusive and stuff like that. Oh, the 1980s. She was quoted in her <laughs> memoir as saying that he apparently said uh, when she won her Oscar, like, what makes you think you deserve this? And and how so many other actors have worked so long and hard for what you just got handed to you. Oh, yeah. my God. Did he actually say <laughs> This is what I read was in her memoir. Yeah. And that she confessed a lot of this stuff. And uh, he sort of apologized in a, in a broad manner. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I was going to say this kind of ruined some elements of the movie for me. I know it shouldn't relate to the movie because it's behind the scenes stuff. But finding out that the two romantic leads had this kind of actual real life stuff going on is definitely uh, taints it a bit for me. That is definitely I do agree with that one. uh, But in I do agree with that because it it does kind of put like a bit of a on it. And plus, like William Hurt, like finding out anybody is like a drunk, abusive piece of shit. Like, well, for a romance movie specifically, it's like going against the grain there really hard. (laughs) No, 100 percent. But I would say uh, the thing that I thought really worked in the movie that I didn't understand until the end was the reason why they go into water is because in water, it's like an even playing field because you can't hear things in water. Like it's like, there's all the Ooh. pressure on your ears and that was kind of their way of connecting. That's how they made love for the yeah, first but time. Wasn't that bizarre, that sex scene in the sense that she was, first of all, why is she swimming naked at the school where like lots of other people <laughs> work? It just seemed really weird. And they show that more than once. They they showed a cut scene of that earlier in the movie with no context. And that one just confused the shit out of me. But then they finally revisit it. And then he comes fully dressed in a suit and he's like, I'm falling in. I'm falling into the pool. And it was just so corny that I thought. And and also creepy. Like, it just seems weird that she would be swimming naked and just be like, yeah, get in here. <laughs> Let's have sex. Yeah, exactly. She's like, oh, my God, no, get away from me. And then she peels um, off so many layers of jacket and clothing in like half a second. I know that's just <laughs> editing or whatever, but that was so unbelievable. Oh, man. Okay, well uh marley matlin that was a very beautiful performance i'm sad that, that that's the only really movie performance that i can think of that i've i've really seen her in but i should check out more of more of her work um so let's go ahead and say who we think that the oscar should have gone to so you are my guest so i will give you the honor of going first i think that the oscar should have gone to
Sigourney Weaver for Aliens. I know okay. that's uh, I'm fitting perfectly into your your profile from the beginning of the episode about middle-aged white men. I'm 35. I'm not quite there. Um, but <laughs> I have reasoning behind it, which we can get into. Yes, I'd tell me. I want to hear all about it. Um, well, I just think that the, first of all, as to why Aliens and her performance should win, it's just such a lasting legacy that came from this movie. A lot of what we already touched on, how it was uh, such a push forward for strong female action leads, resulting in characters like Sarah Connor, Beatrix Kiddo from Kill Bill, Dana Scully from The X-Files, even Xena Warrior Princess. I would say they all are have some rooting in this performance. And uh, that just elevates it to another level as far as uh, whether or not it's deserving of a win, because I think so much of that hinged on her performance as Ellen Ripley. So mm -hmm. I would say I think it deserves the win just because of the cultural impact it had at large uh, mm -hmm. and, and how much of that was due to her performance. And also don't forget that at, up until this point in history, a role where a woman... Uh, was the way that Ripley was, she kind of invented that. Like she kind mm -hmm. of made that. Like there's nothing that you could base that on. And her so performance she... also helped legitimize the the science fiction genre in the eyes of the Academy. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so that is a brilliant answer. To be perfectly honest with you, for for me, I I this is like a bit of a tie for me. But if you listen to the show, you know that I do not believe in ties. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Marley Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. So the reason why I select her over Sigourney Weaver, I completely um, am hearing your argument and I completely agree with everything that you said. And I think that if Sigourney walked away with the Oscar, I would also be happy with that as well. Mm. But the reason why I think Marley Matlin should have won this Oscar is because if we're talking about, um, you know, iconic feminist female roles, I mean, there are so many feminist iconic roles that could exist. And if you think about it, Marley Matlin, I'm sure for people that are hearing impaired is probably an icon. She's Definitely. probably a huge role model for a very large community. And she gives hope to a lot of people and somebody seeing Marley Matlin win an Oscar and how much that would mean to them and how much, you know, it means to the community is, is it's, um, you know, invaluable. And this film is probably very groundbreaking. Um, there were so many moments where, you not only could feel what the character was going through, but it almost felt like you could understand what Marley was going through because she is an actual deaf person mm -hmm. or a hearing impaired person. Again, I apologize if deaf is uh, a, a wrong word to use, but regardless, um, there were just when she basically was like, don't feel sad for me that like really brought tears to my eye, to my eyes, or maybe just, just one eye, just one, uh, just, one <laughs> just slowly Slow. streaming down my face. Yeah. Um, and I, she had such presence. I would recommend this movie to anybody, and I rarely recommend people watch it. Um, and and just really, what this win it because this win wins it means so much more than just a an an Oscar. Like it just means so much to deaf people everywhere, and representation and inclusivity and proper casting for Christ's sake. So yeah, I give it to Marley. Yeah, I would say uh, that I honestly. These were pretty neck and neck for me as well. I was really on the fence. And the only reason it got edged out was some of the other stuff we were talking about, about that film 
uh, and the fact that behind the scenes they had all this trauma and and abuse and stuff that kind of soured it for me a bit. And the narration comment I had made, I just felt like Aliens was a slightly better film. And since I was pretty tied on the performances, that just edged it out for me. Yeah, well, completely fair. I am glad that you did say Sigourney because, you know, for me, I... Uh, I feel like if you would have picked Marley, then I would have picked Sigourney just because I wanted I wanted to kind of recognize both of them. It was so it, tough. It was very, very tough. OK, so um, let's see uh, if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe. Tell your friends. Give us a rating online. Um, we have episodes every two weeks. Uh, Oliver, thank you so much for being a guest. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, thanks for having me, man. And uh, best place is probably YouTube. Just check out just just chill with Oliver George. Search that in and uh, subscribe, please, if you can. That would be really, really, uh, I'd appreciate it a lot. I try to speak with interesting guests, and Kyle's been on the show a couple times. So, uh, yeah, check it out. If you want audio only, though, you can get it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, pretty much wherever. Great. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Oliver, for being a guest, and we will see you next time. Yeah, thanks, man.